0: Listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit SouthPoint.org. It's the first Sunday of the month, and so if You are in fourth or fifth grade. You can follow Pastor Caleb right out those doors right there. And there goes my son. All right. Y'all have fun. Uh, A couple of things that are happening coming up quickly, uh, even this week, and then we'll jump into the text that David just read for us. Um, Before we do that, I want to say this week has been, uh, many of y'all know this week has been a very difficult week for so many in our body. if you weren't at partners meeting last week, then we can talk about it later if you want to. That's why partners meetings are so important for us to and to discuss certain topics. Uh, but it's also been one of the most encouraging and um, life-giving weeks that I've had in a very long time and possibly in my whole time that I've been here at South Point, so for 16 and a half years. Uh, And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of Chris and Caleb, uh, the other pastors here in McDonough, but also the pastors in Locust Grove. Thank you for the way um, that we have been able to share with each other the the burdens of the past week. Um, Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for text messages. Um, My heart has been ministered to, and so many times this week people have said, hey, thank you for sharing this news with us this past week in the way that it was shared, and I oftentimes that word sharing is, hey, let me share this with you. Let me tell you about it. Let me let me just talk to you about it. And it's almost a monologue, you know, a, a conversation in one direction. But it really was, even for me and for the other guys, it was a chance, and my wife included, pastors, wives, other ladies. It was a chance for us to actually share this together. And so I've, I've received a few comments like, man, this feels like real family. This feels like true community. And I'm like, yeah, this is, it's always been there. Um, you, know, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows at different times, but especially this past week, it, it was really on display. And so thank you for your hearts. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your willingness to love and to pray um, no matter the situation and circumstance. So yeah, on behalf of them, um, thank you so much uh, for y'all's love as a church. Coming up this Friday night... We have date night, and so if you're unfamiliar, you can go to the website southpoint.org to find out more information there. You can also sign up your kids uh, to either help serve if they're middle school, high school, or you can drop your kids off this Friday night from 5:30 to 9. Well, you can drop them off 5:30 to whenever, but you need to pick them up by 9 o'clock. Um, so, uh, but that's going to be in Locust Grove at our Locust Grove location, uh, about seven miles south of here. Again, all that information is on the website southpoint.org. You can go to the events tab there, uh, but that's happening this. Friday night so make sure you take advantage of that we usually do a couple of these this one around Valentine's Day Uh, or if you're like Chris Brown you say Valentine's Day uh, with an M so uh, but make sure you sign up for that so they know how to prepare uh, food for your kids uh, games all those different kinds of things. Uh, secondly, if you do have a student, a high school, middle schooler, we have Collide. That's every single Wednesday night. They're in Locust Grove, but also here in McDonough. And right now, they're going through the book of 2 Corinthians. So I would encourage you, and things look very similar to what we do here on Sunday mornings, sing songs, uh, play, they eat, so it's a little more fun. Um, and somebody asked me this morning, they said, are we going to be out by lunchtime? Because they heard my sermon notes, and I was like, I don't know, man. Um, the Word of God, what do you want more? you want the bread of life, or do you want something else? So I'm just kidding. I want the, I want, I want the bread, exactly. Also. So, um, but if you're a high school, middle schooler, make sure uh, your kids are here for that on Wednesday nights. That's from 630 to 8 uh, right here in McDonough. Uh, lastly, if you're new to South Point, thank you again. David said it, but thank you for joining to, uh, with us in worship this morning. If you would uh, do us the honor of filling out a connect card, there's some information there on the back that gives us a, a way to follow up with you just to express our thanks for being here this morning and to get a little more information in your hands about how uh, we function as a church body, about who we are to learn some more about you, to, to learn how we can serve you and your family and how you can serve the mission of God here with us. So we've been in Daniel for a while. We started Daniel back in the fall, uh, maybe back in September. And we looked at the first six chapters, the narrative portion of the book of Daniel. And usually that's where churches stop. They're like, okay, the first six chapters, okay, now let's go to something easier, maybe the gospel of John or something. But not us, we're not that smart. So we decided to do the second half of Daniel also because it's also in the Bible. And we saw last week how we've made this shift from narrative, from this story, from what is pretty easy, stories that we're mostly familiar with, into what we have called, and not us, but theologians have called apocalyptic literature. Everybody say apocalyptic literature. Yep, you haven't said that word all day. Um, nobody's put that into a song yet. So uh, that's what we've been looking at, and that's and we looked at some terms last week, apocalyptic or uh, eschatology, the study of the end times, this unveiling or literally revelation. Here's what's going to happen. If I were to ask, I, I've been married for just over 15 years. If you were to ask me, hey, do you have your wife figured out? Some, <laughs> It's like, some of y'all, and I saw a little little arm nudge from somebody who's been married just a matter of months. And so uh, it, it's like even a matter of months, matter of years, 15 years. If you've been married for 50 years, if I were to say, hey, how long did it take you to figure your wife out? If you've been married 50, 60 years, you're like, no, I still haven't. No man in their right mind, okay? That's an important little clause right there. In their right mind would say that after however many years of marriage, they have completely figured their wife out. And all God's men said, so, but what that doesn't do, it does not dissuade us or keep us from getting married, right? And so in the same way, when we see these passages of apocalyptic literature in the word of God, it should not dissuade us, even though we're not going to be able to completely figure it out. So when we look at this apocalypse, the reason that this passage is in here, the reason that Daniel continued with chapter 7 through 12, is so that the people of God would be encouraged, that the kingdom of God is bringing peace in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of a jacked up world, that Jesus Christ is coming back again. That's the hope that we have this morning. We don't know all the details of that. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, what it's going to look like. But that's the hope that we have this morning. Back in the mid 80s, there was a guy who wrote a book. It was a really popular book. He actually, his company gave away 350,000 copies. And then they actually sold millions of copies, but it was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Happen in 1988. I mean, that would be an interesting read, right? And this guy was interviewed on TBN uh, in Christianity Today. It It was a really popular thing. Thousands of churches bought into this. It was this this huge deal. And Jesus, according to his calculations, was supposed to come back between September 11th and September 13th in 1988. Well, we know today that that didn't happen. And he knew that as well. So he refigured his uh, calculations. And he was like, you know what? It's not September. It's October. Because what are you supposed to do? Make money, right, with these, with these things. So, uh, so he re- didn't happen in October. So he recalculated again. He said, you know what? My calculations are off. I was using a Mayan-based calendar. I should have been using a Gregorian-based calendar. So he refigured it, came out with a new book the next year. It was a revised edition, literally. And it said, uh, th- these are 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. Okay, not as catchy, and I, it didn't sell as many copies. Well, same thing happened. Jesus didn't come back. So he took a back seat for several years. In 1993, guess what book he came out with? That's right. You don't have to say it. 93 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1993. It didn't happen. Rapture didn't happen. He had a book that came out every single year until the year 2000. Every single year. You go look it up. Now you can't buy it. What are you laughing about? <laughs> because it's crazy, right? He died in May of 2001, and uh, that's when the book stopped. So, but here's what's wild. You, can, you cannot buy these on Amazon anymore. I tried. So, <laughs> but Christmas is in several months, so you have time. Uh, but here's the thing. Even if that guy was right, I think Jesus would have changed the time, <laughs> you know, because actually God the Father, Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. Pretty, pretty crazy, huh? We think we can figure it out, and Jesus doesn't know. Even his, you know, even his, uh, his charts, he doesn't really know what they are. So the, the Father, I would imagine, he, if he was like, man, you know what? Jesus was going to come back on September 12th of 1988, but because nobody's supposed to know the time, God the Father changed it, okay? I don't know if that's true or not. I doubt it. Here's what we know. We don't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but we do know that we should be ready. So, we looked at a couple of phrases last week. I mentioned these apocalyptic and eschatology. I want us to see a new word this morning and put a definition with this. And it's the word transtemporal. Everybody say transtemporal. Awesome. So, the definition of transtemporal is this images or figures that can apply to more than one period in history. Images or figures that can apply to more than one period in history. When we were looking at the first six chapters of Daniel, we're not going to apply narrative, this story, historical narrative, and say, well, this is what always happens. No, this is what happened. But in apocalyptic literature, we're required to have a little more interpretive elasticity. We have to be a little more flexible with this. And we've seen this already. We we talked about this uh, last year. The spirit of Babylon is not simply what happened, it's what always happens. So when we talk about trans-temporal, what we see is these visions of, man, here's what the future looks like. It doesn't make sense. Even in, in the first half of chapter 7, Daniel says, it looks like this. He doesn't say, it was a leopard with wings. It looks like a leopard with wings. I don't even know how to describe it. It looked like this. We get to the fourth piece. We're not sure what this is, but it was just crazy and terrifying. I don't even know. And by the way, if you're like, yeah, but I want the details. Well, get to the end of chapter 7, and Daniel's like, I don't even know. So it's like, okay, let me look at chapter 8. Get to the end of chapter 8. You know what it says? Daniel's like, I wrote this stuff down, but I don't even know what it means. So unless you think we can all figure these things out, and not so much. So when we talk about trans temporal we have these visions. And what we have are different epochs of time. And so he has a vision of, here's this event that's happening. Again, it's not... Uh, sequential, these consecutive visions, okay, and it ends at this year, It's this epoch, here's a story of what happens, here's what it looks like, but it's compounded on another epoch. And so it's like, man, this is what's happening, and now we're going to extrapolate on this story. So here's what we see this morning. This is why people don't preach on this, (laughs) okay? Here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at verses 15 through 28 through the very end of the chapter. We're going to see three different iterations of the end of the age, He's going to say, here's what's going to happen, and it comes in, in three different ways. So the first way is this. In verses 17 and 18, we see first this 30,000-foot perspective. That's why it's real quick. Secondly, we kind of zoom in, and the, the image that I get is almost like on Google Maps, you know, you zoom in and you see, okay, I want to go into my house. I want to see, not into my house, hopefully, not yet. Um, that's, that's what Alexa is for. Uh, but we, we, you know, you zoom in on Google Maps. So Google Maps is a 30,000-foot view. And then in verses 19 through 22, we see a 5,000-foot perspective. So a little more detail, maybe a little more clarity with, you know, crazy images and visions and beasts. That's what apocalyptic literature is. And then in verses 23 through 27, we almost see like this city flyover. So it's like, okay, I know I live in that general area over there of McDonough. Lastly, hey, that's just rain, all right? <laughs> Don't worry. I saw some people like, it's guy's happening right now. <laughs> I have zero reasons it's going to happen in 2023, okay? Uh, see, now it's gone. We all missed it. <laughs> uh, Tim Lahey was right. <laughs> But then lastly, if you want to look at the book of Revelation, I'm, we're hoping to do this next year, Lord willing, and the rain stops, is um, if you want to see more of these details, Revelation is almost more of this face-to-face view, okay? So that's, that's what we're looking at this morning. That's kind of where we're going. So we're going to kind of zoom into some of these details. And by the end, we're not going to have everything perfect. Everybody good with that? Yeesh. All right. Big picture, we have our hope in Jesus. Let's look at these, these verses here. David already read it to us, thankfully. So we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna read the whole thing again. I, just, I want us to go verse by verse, piece by piece through this and look at some very bizarre imagery. So these first few verses, and like we said, this first epoch is really 17 and 18, but I'm gonna go back to 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and we'll see next week, that it's, it's probably Gabriel that he's talking to there. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So he looks back at verses one through 14 and we see great beasts rise up and we see the son of man We see the son of the almighty coming in and saying, no, my kingdom is going to last forever. And I would encourage you, if you missed that, go back. That's really important context for this. So he's saying, here's what it is. Great beast, they think they're going to rule, but it's actually the almighty. God, the father rules, the ancient of days. He gives his kingdom to the son of man, Jesus Christ. And that is inaugurated when Jesus ascends up into heaven. All power has been given unto me, Go make disciples. So it's inaugurated there. So now we're in this already not yet state. So again, so we have the interpretation here, verses 17 and 18, it's it's a a recapitulation of that. Verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. And again, we talked about this last week, how those nations were uh, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, we see the Greeks, and then probably the Romans as the fourth beast. So he says here, "These these are nations, these four kings. Verse 18, but the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. So verses 17 and 18, here's what we saw last week. It's this, beasts, kingdom of God. Notice what he says here, though. He uses this word saints. The saints shall possess the earth. It's their kingdom. Who are the saints? That's y'all. That's y'all. Some of you would say, if you're honest, you look back at this past week and say, no, I think a saint is somebody who's holy. I ain't a saint. Can I tell you, friend? If you are in Jesus Christ, when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ's holiness and righteousness for you. That's the blood of Christ that covers you. It has been imputed to you. He has taken everything that you are, all of your sinfulness, all of your fallenness, all of your brokenness, all of your waywardness, and you receive all of his righteousness, all of his holiness, all of his perfection. Amen? Man, we could just pray and go home. That's good news. We are the saints. That's us. That's good news for us. Friend, you are holy. You are holy. You are righteous. You are forgiven. You are loved. So then we get to verse number 19, and we see here, same story, different epoch, different telling of this, verses 19 through 22. Look at verse 19. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast. So again, he's saying, please explain this to me again, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with his teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. Big picture from verse number 19. And we can go back to chapter two. We can say here, let's, let's equate this to this statue that King Neb had this dream about. Here's what we know from verse number 19. Daniel is not dogmatic about exactly what this means. So guess what we can't be? Dogmatic, right? Easy setup, right? We, we don't know exactly what he's ta- talking about here, but he bends over backwards to say, this beast was terrifying and I don't know what it was. So let's not speculate. Verse 20. And about the 10 horns that were on his head and the other horn, and last week we saw that this other horn is what Daniel called a little horn, this small little horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things. And that seemed greater than his companions. So last week we said that this little horn was the Antichrist. Here's what I want us to see. When we talk about the Antichrist, we're talking about a few different things. First, we, we see this as the spirit of the Antichrist. Also known as the spirit of Babylon. We saw this before in the first six chapters the spirit of Babylon. We see this again in the book of Revelation. The the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist, same thing, is not something that happened, it's something that has always happened. It's not a power that is going to be there, that was there. It's a power that has always been there. When Satan declared war on God, it is the power of evil and destruction that is warring against God constantly, even today. So when we talk about the spirit of Babylon or the spirit of Antichrist is present in the world today. It's the secular power in our world. Now we're going to see this man of lawlessness, which is the spirit of Antichrist personified as a counterfeit Jesus. And so we've set this up already as the true kingdom of God true resurrection in the book of revelation we see it in times with a little more clarity face to face with some of these details that this man of lawlessness is going to have a counterfeit resurrection he's going to set himself up as the counterfeit jesus a couple of passages that talk about that the first one is second timothy or sorry first john chapter two it says children it is the last hour talking about the end times and as you have heard that antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come so which one is it? Yes, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So we have this man of lawlessness that we see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as being the specific, the Antichrist, capital A, Otherwise, the spirit of Antichrist is one who lies and deceives, and one who implores others to deny Jesus Christ. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two: Let no one deceive you. Notice the deceit there. Every single time in the New Testament that the end is coming, the way that you're going to know that is here is because the Antichrist, the power, is full of deceit. What is Satan called? The father of sexual immorality? No. The father of drunkenness? No. The father of lies? Yeah. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction. For the mystery of lawlessness is already a work. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. In other words, stand firm in your faith. Your hope is in the fact that Jesus is coming back. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Let's look at verse number 21. Notice what Satan has already done to initiate this. As I looked at this horn, this little horn, the Antichrist made war with the saints and prevailed over them. The spirit of Babylon, spirit of Antichrist, he declared war before we were all born. At the very beginning, he declared war against Christ. He declared war on creation. He wants to destroy you, friend. Spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, financially. He wants to destroy our church. We are in the midst of war today. We're in the middle of a war before things and this is this always like, man, this is really bad. Yeah. Before things get better, they're going to get worse. Look around. Look around. The idea, the, the philosophy, really, the, the theology of evolution that's taught in our schools is a complete joke. The pornography industry makes more money every year in America than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. There's a legislation that's being put on the table regularly to be able to kill children even after they're born. Don't be surprised by the spirit of the Antichrist. Be ready. Don't be surprised. Be ready. It's active. I could go on for for hours about this. We could look at the proliferation of uh, the transgender movement, of homosexuality, of adultery. We could, we could go on and on and on. Be ready. Verses 23 and 24. Sorry, verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came, and we talked about this last year, Jesus Christ's kingdom is coming to, to reign forever, and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed The kingdom, there's our hope. Now, we're going to talk a little more, verse 23. Then he said, as for the fourth beast. Now, who is this fourth beast? Is it Rome? Next week, we're going to look a little more at this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was this this Greek ruler who came in. He went into Jerusalem. He overtook Jerusalem a couple hundred years before Jesus hits the scene. Antiochus Epiphanes, he was this Greek ruler. He comes in, he, uh, he tries to destroy the temple. He makes all of the Jews eat meat. Terrible things he did there in the temple. Is, is that the fourth beast? Because someone may say, is it the dragon that we see in Revelation chapter 13? I would say possibly yes to all of those things. Remember where we started. This idea of being transtemporal. When we see here this fourth beast, we have this understanding that it's not something that is happening or is going to happen. It's the spirit that always happens. So the beast here is the power of the evil one. I would say, yes, it could be possibly all these things. As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the 10 horns, Out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. And we already saw this. Uh, Last week we, we saw this, saw these ten kings. Notice verse number 25. This is a key verse as we talk about the work of the spirit of Antichrist. Verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall wear out the saints. Who is this? Us. Friends, this is why we need rest physically, emotionally, spiritually. This is why, when God got through creating all of the world, mankind, day seven, what does He do? Rest. What does He call that? A Sabbath. A rest. When we come here on Sundays, is this always the most restful day of the week? Why don't you ask the band? Why don't you ask what time they got here. Why don't you ask the AV team if this is the most restful day of their week? Why don't you ask the folks afterwards who are going to be locking up? Why don't you go in there and ask the kids workers? <laughs> but you're always welcome to sign up for a serve team. You know, this is not just a day of physical rest. This is a day of spiritual rest. We're reminded of the finished work of Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate rest. Because the enemy is at work trying to wear us out, trying to beat us down. And Satan and his demons, they don't have physical limitations like us. They're hunting day and night and night and day, always on the attack. You know when there is demonic activity either around you or in someone else by an inexhaustible energy for evil. An inexhaustible energy for evil. Evil. The evil just doesn't stop. And I'm not trying to say, hey, look for a demon under every rock. Hey, that person might be demon possessed. I don't know. But we also can't be just walking through life. Hey, man, this is like a meadow of flowers. No, we're at war. This is a war, friend. And eventually we'll get worn out. Anybody there this morning? It's like, man, I feel worn out. I need rest. I need rest in Jesus. Look look at uh, the middle of verse 25. He's going to wear all the saints to the most high. And he shall think to change the times and the law. One of two things is going to change. Either you are going to change through the power of the spirit and according to God's law, or you're going to seek to change God's law. In which case you would say, you know what? That's the word of Christ, but I'm actually going to live according to my law anti to christ's law i know better than he does i'm in a higher position than the word of god guess what that is the spirit of the i just gave it away the anti-christ those are the options he finishes this this verse and they shall be given into his hand for a time times and time and a half it's like oh man (laughs) now we got some details right what does this mean so interpreters would, would look at this and say, there's, if we just do a little bit of math, okay, I know it's Sunday, sorry, um, but it, it, we see time, times, and half a time. Literally, that means three and a half. You're like, ooh, that's half a seven. Now we're getting somewhere, all right? That sounds special. Okay, so if we take the time, that's one, times, and then half a time, everybody see that? So we got three and a half? I can't do it. Uh, so we got three and a half. What does the three and a half mean? What does that mean? It's got to be something. Here's what we do know. It, it, could, it could mean several different things. You can look at the book of Revelation and see that three and a half is the time of, uh, of power of the Antichrist when he comes to rule and to reign. When we look at the Hebrew language here, we have this number of seven of completion. And in Eastern mind, not Western like us, but an Eastern thought, it's either complete seven, the number of completion, or it's incomplete. Any other number up to seven, okay? So when he says here three and a half, he's not necessarily saying, hey, three and a half means something exactly. What he's saying is this power is incomplete. It's a counterfeit. It doesn't really work out. It could also be applied to, and we'll look at some of this next week. Uh, Caleb's going to be preaching, but so I might be setting them up. I don't know. Um, I'll be talking about it in Locust Grove. But when Antiochus Epiphanes goes into Jerusalem, it took three and a half years for this guy named Judas Maccabees to come and to help relieve the Jews of being attacked there in Jerusalem. Could that be what the three and a half refers to? Maybe. Could it be referring to all three or four of these different interpretations? Possibly. Yeah. We, this, we don't know exactly. It's apocalyptic literature. It's wild. We don't really understand it. But we do know this, that it is part of a counterfeit kingdom. That's what we see here. It's incomplete. It's not the true kingdom. Verse 26, but this is where the Almighty steps back in. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. So whatever the Antichrist, whatever the spirit of Babylon is doing, whatever this man of lawlessness is up to, he's eventually going to be brought into the court where the book is going to be opened, the law of God. He says, nope, you're not it. You're no Jesus. You are anti-Jesus. And he's going to be judged, cast into eternal damnation. Oftentimes our attention in this passage or passages like this goes to those details. What does three and a half mean? What is, the, what is the fourth beast? What is this? What about this? The attention of your mind and of your heart in chapter seven should go to the Ancient of Days. Our eyes should be drawn back to verses 13 and 14. Then the Ancient of Days steps in. We see the Son of Man. This is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Our attention should gravitate right here to verse number 26. Man, God is coming to make all things right. There is our hope. Then verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. That's us. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Notice these worshipers are not from a geopolitical arena, like with every single one of these other beasts. They don't come from some specific area. These worshipers come from all over the earth, thus fulfilling a couple of things. One in Genesis chapter one and verse 28, what is God the father tell Adam and Eve? This is the, one of the only pre-fall commands that we have. Be fruitful and multiply. So we have here a culmination, a, a consummation of this. They're gonna be filling the earth at this point when Christ comes to redeem worshipers from all over the earth. It's also a fulfillment of the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of how many nations? All nations. We see here, finally, it's happened. This is the good news. I think it's interesting. You look at the different animals that we saw there at the beginning of the passage. At least two of them uh, come from the feline category. Y'all know my disdain for cats. But there's a, a certain theology of dogs and cats that we see even here. This is mostly tongue in cheek, but um, so it's for, you don't have to tie on this. This is for free. Uh, but when you love and take care of and provide and give yourself for the sake of a cat, what does a cat do? What's happening in his mind? It thinks, "Man, I am so awesome. I'm a cat. I'm a, this is this is so cool." The theology of a dog, however, is you love and take care of it and feed and provide for it. And what does the dog do? It loves its master. It just wants, oh man, I can't wait for you to get home. It's a faithful friend. This morning, church, we have one of two options. We can receive the grace and the mercy and the blessing of God and say, man, we are so, look how much God loves us. Don't be a cat. In fact, I'm just kidding. I can't say what I want you to do with your cats when you get home. But just be a dog. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) Like social media or something. Our hearts should go here to the fact that the Almighty is ruling and we get to worship Him forever. I want us to walk away, since we're looking at this, with seven things this morning, okay? I'm going to fly through these quickly. I'll put the first four up on the screen, then the next three will be up there in a second if you want to take a picture or whatever. I want us to see seven things, though. The first thing is this, that all the kingdoms of this world, and we can just walk, we just saw this in every single one of these verses. All of the kingdoms of this world are temporary, including ours, this applies to us here this morning in America it applies to those who are in Ghana it applies to those in China it applies to those in Costa Rica wherever this could be here this is not anti-American this is anti-every nation besides the kingdom of God okay it's temporary including ours that's why when Jesus said here's how you know that you're going to follow me die to yourself die to the kingdoms of this world is temporary. Secondly, we have been assigned dual citizenship today. Yes, we are citizens of America. Most, I mean, we're, for the most part, we're citizens of a nation in this world. But we are also friends today and for all of eternity. And I'm speaking here to believers. We are citizens of heaven forevermore. So when we look at Daniel so far, he was a better Babylonian. He served the nation of Babylon better than most Babylonians did. For most of his life, he's either second or third in command for the largest, most powerful nation on the planet. He was a good citizen here while ultimately being a citizen of heaven. Our presence here in this world should bless our neighborhood, our community. It should bless this city, this state. It should inform and bless the next election. We should be praying for those in power over us. And if Daniel could serve Babylon, we can certainly serve America. You're like, okay, what about this? How does that look? I don't know, man. I'm gonna go to point number three. The kingdoms of this world will always war against the saints. Because the saints, one of the things that we proclaim to the world is that they are broken and fallen and sinful in need of a savior. And they don't want to hear that. And as a result, when the church has done that over the centuries, it has experienced persecution at the hand of the spirit of Babylon. A bad interpretation of these verses would be the beasts wouldn't be so beastly if the church was simply being the church. Because what's the attitude of the beast? To wipe out the saints of God. To unceasingly devour and destroy the saints of God. And what lies behind that notion, that presupposition is this, that if we were simply being the true church, we would be experiencing prosperity rather than being willing to die for our faith. You see the difference there? Throughout human history, almost every time that the church is being who she was created to be, living in that identity and out of that identity, the church has experienced great persecution. And you can say, well, what about this period of time? What about this? Yeah, man, God's been gracious during those periods of time. But before things get ultimately better, they're going to get worse. This is not our home. That is. Fourthly, it may look like the spirit of Babylon is reigning, but history is not finished. His story is not finished. It may look like in your life that addiction is reigning. It may look like in your life that the politics of this world are reigning. It may look like Broken relationships are reigning in your life. But can I tell you that history is not finished and your story is not finished. There is hope. There is hope. Today, you are a citizen of heaven and Jesus is coming back soon. The fifth thing that I want us to see this morning is that God will not forsake his people, but he will give them an everlasting kingdom. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. He will give us an everlasting kingdom. Don't be confused. As much as we serve the beast now and we want to bless the beast, as much as we want to serve the nation, the kingdom of God, our city, our neighbors, whether or not they love God, we are not going to change the beast. And let me say this. You're like, well, are you saying my neighbor is the beast? Like, I don't understand. No, 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 The beast is the spirit of Babylon. It's the power of our true enemy. Your neighbor, the atheistic, agnostic, Buddhist, whatever, hates you, neighbor, whoever that is, coworker, somebody on social, whoever that is, that person is not the enemy. Satan is our enemy. And every single person who has breath currently on the face of this planet, no matter how much they hate you, is a prisoner and a victim of the enemy. So as we pursue those souls, we are pressing back against the power of the enemy. They are not the enemy friend. So we serve and we love and we bless them for the sake of the expanse of the kingdom of God. But while we are in this life, the beast is going to remain. The power of the true enemy is always going to be here. Sixthly, don't expect anything from the beast that you should only expect from the eternal kingdom. Our satisfaction, our fulfillment is not in this life, but it's in the next. Today, our satisfaction and fulfillment is not in what the world offers. It's in Jesus Christ and him alone. Lastly, the beast cannot destroy something that has already died and rose again. The beast cannot destroy something that has already died and rose again. Back in uh, the mid-2000s, before we had kids, uh, we would, uh, and this is before Netflix, this is back, you know, we barely had electricity. Some of y'all are young, you're like, I don't even understand this analogy. Uh, We would actually have to get, uh, Blockbuster had this, even Netflix had this for a a hot minute, Uh, but you would have to get DVDs from these places in the mail, snail mail, you know, <laughs> like some apes, you know, it's just like, it was just, it's, you're like, what? What are you talking about? And so if you, wanted, if you wanted to watch any sort of movie or television show that was only on DVD that you couldn't uh, watch on television, or if you want to watch it later, you have to order them in the mail. And so we were part of this Blockbuster uh, by mail order thing. And I'm telling you what then, I mean, this before I had an iPhone, this was revolutionary because you didn't have to go to the Blockbuster store and get your, your, your VHS tape. You could order a, a DVD, this is before Blu-ray. A DVD. I don't even know what that stands for anymore, okay? Uh, Somebody's like, oh, digital video disc. I just thought about it too, okay? <laughs> you have to order those in the mail. I mean, and this was in Georgia, not even like in Arkansas, okay? So I can't pick one in Alabama anymore. Um, so uh, we, would, we would do that. And so we were into 24, the show 24, any 24 fans out there? Jack Bauer? Yeah, it was sick. Every single episode, it was like, you'd watch it like an hour-long show, like 42 minutes, but it was like a real hour of life. And the whole season would take place in 24 literal hours. That's why they were often on helicopters, okay? They had to make it work. So, uh, so we were watching 24, and so we would get—I wasn't just paying $8.99 a month for one DVD. I was paying 12.99 a month for two DVDs at a time, okay? Living high on the hog, so we would get those two DVDs in the mail, and as soon as we got those, man, we'd binge those. We were watching twenty-four, like six hours a night. Again, no kids, really, no responsibility. It was awesome. Uh, no money. It was it was sick. So um, we were we were uh, we, we'd watch those, and so then as soon as we got done with those two DVDs, we'd be like, "What happens next?" And we couldn't just click next episode. We had to take those DVDs and you could take them back to a Blockbuster store, a real store. They used to have them, there's only one left. Uh, and we, you could take those discs back to the store and exchange them for two more. And God knows I would do that a lot of nights about nine o'clock so that we could stay up till two o'clock in the morning that night, okay? So we would uh, take those discs back over to, to Blockbuster right before they closed. I'd be like, I got two discs, can I get two more? I can't wait to see what happens to Jack Bauer. You know, this is awesome. Then remember one night uh, we were watching and in season three, Jack Bauer dies. If you haven't watched it in the past, that's on you, okay? (laughs) Every time I talk to David Henry, he's like, have you ever seen this movie? I'm like, no, don't ruin it for me. He's like, it came out in 1981, okay? I'm like, ah. So, So Jack Bauer dies, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we don't have any DVDs left. It's pretty late at night. I rush as fast as I can in my 94 Buick. Uh, It was purple. We called it the Purple Dragon. It was crazy. So uh, I rushed as fast as I could to Blockbuster to get two more DVDs because Jack Bauer died. This is only season three. I get to the store, no joke, and I look there at the the box covers, you know. um, Some of you are like, what did you do? Like ride your horse and buggy? Like how old are you? Um, So I went there and I saw on the cover of season four was Jack Bauer's face. Jack's alive. Man, this is awesome. I thought he just died. So I exchanged my discs, took him back home. We watched him all night. Same thing happened the next, you know what I'm talking about? Friends, Daniel was written to bring hope in the midst of suffering and tribulation when your days look dark, when it seems like all else has failed. He's saying, guess whose face is on the cover of season four? You can read Revelation 21 on the face of season four is the face of Jesus Christ. He is alive. He's going to rule and to reign for all time. The beast cannot conquer him. If you want to know our eschatology as a church, our theology, some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for this for years. Here it is, four words. Jesus is coming back. That's it. You can write it down in case you forget it. That's it. Jesus is coming back. What does it look like? I don't know. Do, are we going to talk more about it? Yeah, hopefully Caleb will, okay? But here's what D.A. Here's what DA Carson said. D.A. Carson said, there is no suffering. You're not suffering from any, any sorry, you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection cannot fix. No matter what the beast is up to, no matter how strong he is, we know that Jesus Christ has already won. He lived, he died, he rose again. He cannot be defeated. We see this counterfeit kingdom at odds with the kingdom of God. The counterfeit kingdom is one that was inaugurated through violence of the beast. The kingdom of God was inaugurated by violence done to Jesus on the cross. The counterfeit kingdom is one of human and supernatural demonic force. The kingdom of God was installed by the almighty. The counterfeit kingdom is geopolitical. Kingdom of God, global. Man, When I think about just the overarching hope that we have, not just for each other here this morning, but I think about it for my neighbors, for those that we just prayed for around the world, that's the kingdom of God. When we look at the counterfeit kingdom, it it builds one to the next. There's a progression. Friends, the, the kingdom of God is one that is eternal. It will last forever. In Revelation chapter 17, The counterfeit kingdom is called the whore of Babylon. But the kingdom of God is a bride of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ returns, he's gonna wipe away every tear from every eye. He's going to call you by name. Your body is going to be raised to meet him in the air and we are going to rule and to reign with him for all of eternity. That's our hope That's why when we look at the book of Daniel, we can point to the Almighty. We see the Son of Man. Man, there is such good news in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to rule and to reign. C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, the Prince of Preachers back in the 19th century. He said, as surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, so surely you that love his name shall triumph in him too. This is our hope. I want us to look briefly at Psalm 23, a familiar psalm, but but I want to see if we can apply this and wrap our hearts and our minds around this truth. Psalm 23, David says this The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And may this soothe our hearts even this morning in the midst of turbulent times. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Anybody need that word this morning? Yeah. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice in verse number four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the same way that David, as a shepherd, fought off lions and bears, Jesus Christ, when he comes to rule and to reign, has a rod and a staff of righteousness where he is going to defeat the leopard, the winged lion, this bear, this other crazy fourth beast, and he did it all on the cross. Then verse number five, Here's the invitation this morning. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friend, there's an invitation here when he talks about sitting at a table, he's looking at you face to face as a friend and as a savior. And he says, welcome. You can receive a new identity. You get to experience intimacy with the ancient of days, with the son of man. You've been indwelled with the power of the spirit. This is the invitation for us this morning, for you this morning, one into hope, one into joy, one into life. And I would plead with you that your faith would be in Christ and in him alone. He was broken for you He will fight for you. Currently, he is interceding for you. He is praying for you. The Holy Spirit, when you don't have the words to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for you, with you, through you, within you. Man, what a good God. His blood covers you so that when the Almighty looks at you, he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we can rest in that. So we're going to celebrate this meal. We do it every single week. It's called communion. We get to sit at the table with Jesus Christ, with his presence and be reminded of who he is and what he has done for us. This is for those who have repented of sin. This is a reminder of our need to repent of sin even yet again today. This is for those of us who have placed our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. This should be a joyful time for him, being reminded of the life that is to come. No matter what life looks like here today, in the midst of trial, death, sickness, broken relationship, addiction, we look to Christ. He is our hope and our joy. He suffered for us. We have the opportunity to suffer right alongside of him for his glory. Family, you're invited to join me even now.